internet friends, how's it going? I'm Chase Jarvis. It's my job now to welcome you to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. God, I love this show. I'm sitting here recording these intros. I want you to know how much I love it, and you are going to love today's episode. It's no different than any of the others. This is where I sit down with the world's top creators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I do my very best to unpack actionable, valuable insights with the goal of helping you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. My guest today is Jessica Hish. Jessica, now if you're in the design world, you're like, oh my God, Jessica, and your mind explodes and you're super happy and excited. And if you're not from the design world, let me give you a little bit of context. You definitely want to hear from Jessica. Jessica is more than a lettering artist, an entrepreneur, a designer, a speaker. She sews together the point of view of what it is to be a creator in an insanely elegant way. I mean, I, I try and get this stuff straight from on stages all over the place. I just got back from Amsterdam where I give a big speech on creativity. And sitting down with Jessica for even just 15 minutes was just like a shot of adrenaline for me. She's a designer who's worked with folks like Penguin Books, Wes Anderson, love Wes's movies. If anybody knows Wes, let's get him on this show too. Um, and most recently published a book called In Progress, which is an amazingly detailed look. And if you've ever wanted to do a book like this or uh, wanted to get inside someone's brain, you must check out the book In Progress because of the detail of her process from sketch to deliverables as a designer. A must read. If you love lettering or design in general, this is a must read. Um, if you love process and you're a process person, even in the, on the hardcore business side, this is going to be insightful for you. Uh, she's also got this amazing library of side projects, one called The Daily Drop Cap, which is exactly what it sounds like. You're like, what? <laughs> Check it out. Another site called Don't Fear the Internet, which teaches HTML and CSS to designers. Uh, Shouldworkforfree.com. This is a brilliant flowchart that answers the exact question, should you do it for free? You can see there's a little bit of play in her point of view, but she's also wicked smart. Um, in addition to being a, an insanely talented artist, she is... S-M-A-R-T. She is so freaking smart. Holy crap. She semi-jokingly refers to herself as putting the brain of an engineer in a creative role. That's the sense when you talk to her. She has this like um, an engineering mind which can automatically sequence like start to finish everything, but insanely creative, analytical, no bullshit. It's refreshing and compelling as hell. If you're looking to put, put for someone to put things gently with a bunch of flowery stuff, stop listening right now. Do not listen to this episode because... She is anything but that. She's practical and specific. A couple other highlights. We also get into some rarely discussed characteristics and strengths of creatives. For example, that we have an abnormally high degree of introspection baked into us because our field demands it. Things like self-assessment and reinvention. You really are capable of these things. And I think Jessica unlocks that. She unlocked that for me in a way that I have rarely had sort of wash over me before. I like to be the person who thinks they can help other people do that. And she brought me to my senses really quickly that no, no, she's the master here. Um, we also talk about why constraints are a creative's best friend. So many people think that you just want a blank canvas. I know I looked at a million blank canvases. I know I want some constraints. Um, you've heard me talk about that before. She gives a little bit into the why that aids creativity. And then of course she talks about some of the specific habits, habits. <laughs> she talks about some of the specific habits that make her a crazy, well-organized, 
ultra productive creative. As a, I'll just leak one concept. How about admin Mondays? Mondays, she packs full of all of the junk that she doesn't want to do the rest of the week, and it frees her up. It's a really interesting technique. So I could go on, but I won't, just so that you can get into the episode. But before we do, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits. And today, Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome. Happy this to be here. This is our first time meeting. Isn't it, it is our first time. I don't even know how it's been the first time because we're not even distance-wise that far away we're, from each other. We have a lot of the same homies. I believe it. I'm sure if we did the Facebook thing, there'd oh. be like 4,000 people between Danger. us. Danger. We're close. We're going to get closer over the course of the next 30 minutes or so because I have some questions for you about what you do. Awesome. Um, first of all, thank you for coming here in San Francisco. Um, we're here as a part of print magazine shoot, right? Yes, indeed. I was, I was shot at 12.30. You were shot at 6. Those are good photos. You came, came, came out great. Thanks. I was looking over my friend John Keatley, the great photographer who brought into the shoot. Looks really good. I don't normally look so put together, so, you know, like I really try and bring it when I know there's going to be a camera pointed at my face for a while. It has been brought in. Awesome. It has been mute. Look fantastic. Um, this is primarily an audio show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh, we're, nice. we're describing these great <laughs> visual things. Um, but for those folks at home who don't know as much about you and your work as they should, can you give us, give me a, a little bit of backstory and then um, what you care about and, and how you got here? Sure, sure. So the little bit of backstory would be I was trained as a graphic designer, but what I do now is quite different from graphic design. Um, I ended up working my way through uh, client work and various jobs into becoming a lettering artist. And it's probably what I was meant to do all along because I really should have gone to school for illustration instead of graphic design. Uh-huh. But um, to, if you're familiar with graphic design, uh, you're basically like an amazing creative curator of stuff. So like you work with good photographers and you art direct shoots and you pick good fonts. And all those people that uh, contribute in some way to the things that you curate are you know, the other artists involved. So I'm one of those people. So I work with designers a lot. 
um, helping them sort of tweak typography stuff or create stuff from scratch. And so basically illustrating uh, words and phrases. And you're very good at it. Well, I... The internet knows you're very good at it. I, Your clients know you're very good at it. I will say I am very well practiced at it. I am proud of my work. Um, but yeah, I, I really like what I do. It's great. Tell me about, you, you revealed something that I want to know more about. You said I probably should have not pursued graphic design. Why not? Well, I love client-focused work. So like, I, I think it was an absolute perfect match in that way where I went to art school to be like a painter, but I could never really get my shit together in terms of... <laughs> You know, expressing Do you know painters that have their shit together? With my feelings, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I know a lot of very serious artists that yeah. make very serious work. Yeah. And I was just never one of those people. And I think I've always been the kind of person that just really likes, like, any excuse to draw. And coming up with your own excuses to draw is much more difficult than having other people come up with excuses for you to draw. So, so true. in that way, it was like a match made in heaven. But I think if I had understood what an illustration career was earlier on, I probably would have gone to school to be an illustrator and bypassed graphic design into uh, the career that I am currently in now. So you also talked about clients. I sense a love-hate relationship. I have a love-love relationship love, with clients. Love. Yeah, I, I am not one of those people that says, like, that is just waiting for the moment where clients go away. Um, I really like working with clients. They're I, great for like creating constraints, right? Yeah, I I thrive on constraints. Yeah. I don't know how people go without constraints. Like yeah. when I get a creative brief that's like, it's empty. Oh, <laughs> like no timeline. Just whenever you can get to it, and really do whatever you want. Like you know, You're just like, make up the uh, words. It could be a poster. It could be a brochure. Whatever. I'm like, I can't do this. Go find someone else that like <laughs> has the ability to <sighs> narrow themselves down that that well. It's so true. But I really need uh, some sort of direction with projects. And I think that for me, the best thing about sort of freelancing and also doing the kind of work that I do is that I get to have like a variety of the really, really, really tight briefs and then the somewhat loose do your own thing briefs. And I get to manage uh, moving back and forth between those two worlds instead of being all in one world or all in another world. It's, so. it I think the concept, well, the way that I think about the people who pay attention to the show is I put them very casually in two camps. And I believe that there are two camps because I think it's about how people self-identify. One camp is people who identify as creative and entrepreneurial and call themselves that, think of that, that's their mindset, and they're trying to get better. They've, they, they've started, they're on their path, and they're trying to get better. And then the other ones, they're like curious. They're like dipping their toe in, and they have been told their whole life that they couldn't do it, shouldn't do it, might want to do it, leave that safe career and strike mm -hmm. out on their own, either their own business, their own careers, or chasing some creative dream of theirs. And for the people who are in camp one that are trying to go from one to 10, say, they, I feel like by and large, understand that constraints create creativity and creativity fuels a ton of things. And for the folks who are zero to one, they think that the world probably thinks, sorry, probably think the world runs on, I just want to make what I want to wake up in the morning and put on my beret and smoke my cigarette and be very creative. Though I would say that even within both of those worlds, there is a separate delineation. So there's, even in the entrepreneur worlds, mm -hmm. there's the people that are at one that can visualize 10. Yes, that's And true. they shoot for 10. 
Uh, whereas I'm not in that camp. I'm I'm like the Ooh, person that good. that zeroes from that goes like step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, and and I just keep going until the, until it doesn't stop, which can go on forever. But like mm. I don't sit here and go, all right, I'm at step three. How do I get to step twenty four? without well, like bypassing all these other steps. Like I kind of know that the steps are necessary for me. Got it. Like some people feel like they can skip the steps, but I can't, you know? And it's sort of knowing that there are steps to take that makes it less intimidating for me to create anything. Um. So like I, it, as an entrepreneur, like when I do entrepreneurial projects, uh-huh. I'm always trying to look at what's immediately around me rather than doing like shoot for the moon stuff. Because, like, I'm just not a shoot-for-the-moon kind of creator. Like, I'm a person that's like, you have a problem. I'm solving it today. We're going to do it. And that's really satisfying to me, like, the immediacy mm-hmm. of it. And it's also just, like, a lot simpler to solve problems that you are extremely familiar with than it is to actually have to familiarize yourself completely with a project that is totally outside of your universe in order to solve it. So I think, uh, there's like... There's a practicality yeah. in there that's so effective, though. I'm, I'm like a engineer brain that's in a creative role. Like I am a super crazy list maker, organizer, really logical, really risk averse. Like, you know, like there's a lot of uh, uh, things about how I run my career that I'm really happy that it's turned out well, but you know, uh, and I think like, I feel like my career is a testament where if you just like keep hammering at something, like you will get good at it and have some form of success versus the the people that sort of see, appear as if they jump out of nowhere. You know what I mean? I do. And thank you for saying that because that, is, that reaffirms and confirms so many things that are true about the industry that most people who are in that zero to one camp, they, they were told their whole life they weren't creative because they have an engineering brain or because they think very linearly or you're living proof. Like yeah. you can be wildly, passionately, deeply creative, successful, all those things, and have that kind of brain. Well, I think too, like if you're good at art from a young age, everyone calls you right-brained forever. Yeah. But like I test off the charts, like on the left side. You know, like everything that I I'm like in, uh, you know, ENFJ. Like I'm just like a super like bossy person <laughs> like you know just get shit done only do the stuff that's like accomplishable i'm not like an ethereal like you know what's the vision of whatever kind of person and i love having those people around yeah. because like i like being the person that is uh you know helps them home hone their dreams into something that is immediately achievable um and so like there's definitely a place for both things but i think that a lot of creatives think that if they're not in the camp where they are the like big thinker Steve Jobsy kind of you know like how do I change disrupt the industry or whatever change that, the world change the world <laughs> you know that's a really intimidating thing oh, to think sure. about to think that that's the only form of success that actually matters you know like whereas I feel like I'm more of a massive impact on a small scale than a tiny impact on a large scale person. I have somewhere along the line stole some idea that uh, someone handed me, which is brilliant, which was something like light a thousand small fires instead of one big fire or something like that. And Mm -hmm. that's this daily sort of get the work done. The people, the ironic sort of twist to all that is some of the people that I know that the world thinks of as the most creative, that get the most shit done, that have achieved the most personal satisfaction and success have exactly what you're describing you have. Well, yeah, I think think actually even... 
like the big project people, like the people that like do are the huge dreamers, mm -hmm. they still have exercises that they go through to kind of get the wheels in motion. And For sometimes sure. those exercises turn into their own thing, you know? And I think with client work, the way that, I mean, I know a lot of people that are like this, you know, it's against what the advice that you get from a lot of people is, which is like, do the hardest thing first so it's out of the way. Like, that's not how I work. Like, I do all the easy things because that gets my juices flowing and yeah. it gets, you know, the gears turning. And then I feel like I suddenly, I'm running downhill instead of, you know, slowly slogging uphill. And it's while I'm already at that pace that I'm able to, like, sprint into a huge project that I was maybe a little bit intimidated about and then, you know, find myself halfway into it before I realize that, Oh wow! Like you know, like, here I am. Here I am. Wow! I got more done than I thought I would on this thing in a couple of days, whereas like I thought it was going to take me a month. You know. What is something about you that, if people found out, people in your community, people on the internet, your clients, if they found that out, they would be surprised to hear it? Um, I think right now it might be that I work really reasonable hours. Uh, so I was definitely like a crazy. 80 to 100 hour work week person earlier uh -huh. in my life. And I I thought that that would be something that would kind of carry on forever, but I mean really you get a lot more efficient at the work that you do over time. And now that I, you know, have a family and live in California and just don't have a lot of friends bragging about working on Saturdays, uh, <laughs> I find that I keep like a pretty normal schedule. So I'm actually in the office for between like 35 and 40 hours a week. And you know, I work extra hours if I have a major fire under my butt about a fun side project, but otherwise like I, I try to keep it at that. Um, what was the change? What, what, what was a switch that flipped or was it a slow creep back to it, it normality? Was, there was a little bit of a switch even just moving to San Francisco because most of my friends here were working at startups that weren't in that really early crazy stage, you know, yeah. like they were working normal jobs, getting off at work at six, yeah. and it was just not exciting to be the only one working until 10 or 11 o'clock at night when everybody else was hanging out. So, and I think that's like a real problem for a lot of young creatives is that they're not surrounded by that culture and they can't put in the extra hours that a lot of people that are surrounded by that culture can. Yeah. Um, that culture isn't always healthy, but it yeah. certainly does help you get a lot of work done early yeah. on in your career. It does. Um, but I was at a point in my life where I kind of needed to slow down. Like I wasn't, uh, I was probably capable of keeping going if I was cool getting bronchitis like four to five times a year. Uh, but it was really like, it, it was a time in which I'm glad that I had some more time to be introspective and actually kind of figure myself out as a human and not just as a designer. Yeah. So. Talk about that. That's interesting. Well, talk, talk about figuring yourself out as a human. That was a, there was very eloquently, you slipped that in there, kind of like, <laughs> but it, it, it's meaningful. I want to hear about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know any creative that like once they hit 30, they don't have this like, I just got to take some time to myself, man, you know? <laughs> and uh, I definitely went through it and like, like part of it was just being surrounded by so many like 
like a culture that encourages that so completely, yeah. you know, where like, of course, every, of course you go to therapy, you got some stuff to work out, you know, like I got to go to my, you know, Pilates instructor to do my soft tissue work because my shoulders fucked up and when <laughs> I fell off my bicycle eight years ago or whatever. And like, there's just a lot of that, like in the air in uh, California and- <laughs> California. <laughs> and A lot of fucked up shoulders in California. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was, what was really good is that I, like while I was growing up and while I was younger, you know, I was always really good at sort of like handling any crisis in my life because I could just throw myself into work to get my head out of it, yeah. you know? So work was this thing that was always the good thing. It was always a positive. And I think I like needed a little bit of time to like focus on the other aspects of my life and like, you know, enrich in those things and like be able to uh, handle crises without just shutting myself off from the world and yeah. doing an 80 hour work week. And um, just feel like like way more capable as a person, you know, emotionally and stuff like that than I think I was when I was in my 20s in crazy workaholic mode. So it sounds vaguely like advice that you're giving. I'm wondering if that is advice that you'd be giving some someone who's yeah, yeah. Really I mean, new it's the or... same advice your parents give you forever, which is like your health is your top priority. Or whatever, <laughs> you know, which it's really true. I mean, you um, like one of the things that I really cling to as like a piece of advice in general, especially now that. Um, I'm a parent is like you have to put your own uh, oxygen mask on before you can help others, you know, yeah. and if you're not capable of, you know, handling yourself and your problems because you're so buried in stress and whatever, then like you can't possibly make positive change for other people. Yeah. And so there really is sort of like an emphasis on self-care in that where like it's not selfish to, you know, make sure that you are cool as a human, you know, yeah. and that you're like handling your problems and, you know, taking care of yourself and sleeping and like eating decent foods and, yeah. you know, just sort of making sure that you're at a good base level before you seek out to do like really intense, ambitious stuff. Yeah. Because like you'll hit a limit, you'll hit a wall, like if you're not in a good place when you start those things. So even if you can go deep and really far, there is a wall out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And the sleep thing was a big thing for me like that. I, for years and years and years, thought it was genetic, didn't need sleep because X, Y, Z. Yeah. Just entertain, let, let me go here for a second. <laughs> and it sounds absurd, but like I remember saying, I can't actually think of the last time I got more than like five hours of sleep. And I think it's a good thing because it's something that you do do when you're young and the reason you have that much energy is because you're working on stuff that you love. And it's okay that there's nothing wrong with that. But at some point, you're like, you know what? Something changed. I feel like eight hours of sleep is a thing that if I if I went there and did that, it was a game changer for me. Well, also, too, I think, like, when I am a person that can get by on very little sleep. Yep. And, you know, like, I think that there are two kinds of people. There's people that are, like, eight-hour minimum, nine-hour would be better. And then there's like the six and a half to seven hour minimum, and but I should probably get eight hours. And I'm in that camp, where if I if I push the envelope, I can you know get by for a really long time on five to six hours of sleep and be pretty okay with it. Yeah. I'll just have a totally depleted immune system and be like, I just have sensitive lungs. I just get you know sick every now and then. Blah blah blah. When really I'm just run down and my body is in like you know crazy fight or flight mode. Um, but yeah, I think like 
The, the sleep thing is huge just because the way that you approach work, there's like certain hours of the day that you are better at certain kinds of work, you know, depending on how you sleep and how you're formed and what you're eating and blah, blah, blah. And the, if I sleep decent hours, I can extend my like brain power of the day beyond like 9 a.m. to lunchtime, you know, yeah. like where <laughs> if I'm sleeping really poorly, it's really just like as soon as I wake up for two or three hours, then after that I have to be in like brainless production mode. And if I am treating myself well, you know, getting exercise, you know, sleeping well, then I can do sketches in the afternoon and not feel like I'm wasting time and just like drawing circles in a book, you know. You said something earlier. I'm going to change gears for a second. You said something earlier about personal projects. Yeah. I know that's a thing. It is a thing. It's a thing for you in particular too, right? Yes. So uh, Tell us about that. But I realized something recently. Um, so I was having a conversation with my studio mate, Eric Marinovich, who I, I think you guys are probably also interviewing for this. Probably. We're all connecting here. We're all connecting. Uh, but... He, we're both lettering artists and we share a space and he does a lot of personal projects as well, though most of his personal projects revolve around doing experimental lettering stuff. And most of my personal projects are not about making artwork because I feel like what my side projects do is exercise parts of me that don't get exercised in client work. Mm -hmm. So I don't have this overwhelming desire to like fill more of my hours with lettering because I feel like I have plenty of my yeah, hours filled lettering, with lettering. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what I do is fill those hours with like heavy brain power thinking stuff and education projects and writing and things like that. So a lot of my side projects are more like me exploring web development and what if I make a resource of this thing or what if I, you know, write this epic 8,000 word uh, essay but then make it a visual essay or whatever. And it's really helpful for me because I've those it makes me feel like I'm actually addressing like every part of what my creative brain wants to do instead of just like you know specializing in the thing that I get paid to do for a living. Yeah. And I think that that's something that anybody that is a specialist will tell you that they have plenty of other hobbies outside of their specialty. And those things don't necessarily play into their professional world, but they definitely like are a way for them to explore other parts of themselves. Yeah, it's like side projects. The difference between side projects and side hustle is, is real. Like a side hustle is probably making money, doing more of the same thing that you do during the daytime because you're good at that thing and you can make some cash. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like this is a little bit more It's a little bit different. I mean, like, and truthfully, I should be doing more <laughs> lettering side projects because those are the sort, like, they translate to more and different work they do like yeah. if you, if there's a thing that you want to be doing that you're not doing in your creative career um if you find a way to do that as a side project some client will come along and say hey i love that thing you did can you do that for us but make it a little bit different Bam. and that's really how like modern freelancing works you know it's people creating projects for themselves or for their friends or for some band that they like or whatever posting it to Instagram, and some client that's an actual paying client sees that and goes, you're cool, can I pay you to do that thing but for me? And so I would say like one of the things that I'm not taking advantage of by using my side projects as a way to like expand my mental horizons <laughs> is uh, I'm not using it as a way to get different client work. Um, but the kind of side projects that I'm interested in do, they have a different benefit for me because I have like a super strong teacher gene, 
but I don't have an ability to like teach at a college level right now because I travel too much and yep. I just like don't have the, I'm never in one place for 15 weeks at a time. <laughs> uh, and so I think like it's a way for me to use that really intense desire to like, like mentor yeah. uh, in a way that, um, you know, I can actually in, like integrate into my life. And because I have that intense desire, the side projects that I do end up working for my career in a positive way, but just in a different way. You yeah. know, like they elevate me professionally, but they don't put money in my pocket. <laughs> well, that means me, Matt, that makes me want to have you on Creative Alive for sure. I'm sure you know Debbie and Stefan and uh, Jessica and Michael Beirut, and you're in that whole clan. I will have to find a way. Maybe I'll handcuff myself to you and, and make you sign a sign up, <laughs> agree to do a class. The, the, the actual like rubber to the road profession of design is not about, um, and I would say this with basically every creative career, it's not about waking up and saying what I wanna make today. Mm -hmm. Tell me your view on sort of going to work. Like it's, I think, I, I feel like we've tapped into it a little bit, but there's more under the surface that I want to hear from you on that. What's well, part of it is when you're running your own business, you just have to accept and understand that a giant part of your life is not making artwork. And you have to, whether or not you're like, in, you enjoy it, you have to accept it. And if you don't enjoy it, you have to figure out how to delegate it. Um, delegate what, or not be self-employed. Right? Yeah, or not be self-employed. Because yeah. not, every, not everybody's meant to be self-employed. Mm -hmm. uh, it is an awesome thing, but it can be a slog. For sure. Uh, one of the things that I was talking to someone about recently is that um, one of the things that I love about being self-employed is that there's very few jobs where you get to both be the person in charge that has all the power and also the person that gets their hands dirty and touches the art. Because if you work for anyone, the more power you accrue and like the higher you climb on the ladder, the further separated you are from the creative process, yeah. uh, which is just how it is. You know, like you become an art director, you become a creative director, you become a person that has meeting culture and spends all day, you know, basically coaching other people into making the art, um, which can be awesome and super rewarding, um, especially if you have the teacher gene very strong. But if you're, if you're someone that needs the actual creating to be a big part of your life, yeah. uh, you are gonna hit a cap if you're working for someone else of how much success in terms of title or in terms of uh, you know, how much you're making and things like that, if you still really wanna be involved in the actual day-to-day -day making. And, right. and you see that definitely when you're talking about like startups and being a product designer and things sure. like that. I want to look at the other side of the same point, and that is support for people who um, who do work at another company. Yeah, for yeah. For whom that works at a, that works out really well. Of course, and, so and that's we, that, that's what I'm saying though is that like it's really difficult to not focus on climbing that ladder as being the only like so signifier of success. And so, like, I know a lot of people that work at companies that have decided to walk away from management jobs because they want more creative control, like, on a, you know, a physical, in a physical way. Yeah. So that, it's not to downplay working somewhere else. It's yeah. just to understand that if you work somewhere else and what your ultimate goal is, is to, like, 
you know, be successful at the company, you're going to start removing yourself from creating, like, you know, from direct creating, yeah. you know, and be more of a managerial creator. Um, and if you really, really want to stay involved in the nitty gritty creation, you just have to accept that you're gonna hit you're gonna hit a ceiling of where you're gonna climb at that company, and that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing to know. Sure. You know, and so what I love about being self-employed is that I'm like at the top and the bottom of the ladder simultaneously. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and like, really, if I had any employee whatsoever, I would be on one end or the other. I'd either need to hire someone that was a project manager that basically told me what to do, or I would need to hire someone that was a junior designer that I told what to do, and then I would be basically delegating a lot of the creative work that I would love to be doing to them. That's my favorite thing about my current role is as the founder and CEO, you you know, I have the authority at the top, but I love the bottom and I will allow myself to operate there. It's really the middle that is The middle is that hard. Is, that is yeah. really where I struggle. I don't I'm not a I'm not I'm a leader, not a manager. I don't like I don't succeed in that. It's not even that I don't yes, I don't like it, but it's probably because I'm really bad at that anything that's in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And I'd rather be like actually focusing that camera and saying, no, let's let's rack the focus like this or you know, it's yeah, yeah. camera angle here. Or like this is what we want to be and become in three, five years. We wanna, you know, own creative education or whatever yeah. the, and the middle is is weird. And the middle the fact is hard. That you, you've put it so elegantly that as a self-employed person you can do both. Yeah. You're at both ends of the of the spectrum. Just yeah. Uh, and that's interesting. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'll always credit you for that. That's very insightful. So let's. Let me ask a slightly different question because I know there are people out there in the world that are um, either at a company, building company, responsible for others, for departments and things mm-hmm. like that. And sometimes that culture is open to design and design thinking, and uh, sometimes it's. Uh, Oh, it's a nice to have. It's not a must have. Mm-hmm. So, talk to me about the importance of design thinking culturally. There, are, there's just pretend that your audience is like, yeah, I think design is interesting. Well, but- what I would say is, you know, design is a really broad thing. You know, like there's design that is like good design because it's invisible, not mm-hmm. because it is design with a yeah. capital D. And I think that when people that are that don't have a very design centric culture think about integrating design they think about things like you know branding or they think about let's add some flourishes to something you know they think about very sur- very surface level things yeah. where <coughs> design does not have to be surface level and i think like as a person that is a very surface level designer you know like a lot of the even the branding work that i do like i focus on work that I take a logo that has served someone well and can't be changed significantly and just try to move it into a zone that is better, you know, without losing the DNA of the original thing. Mm-hmm. So it is like really subtle stuff. Um, but I think that, you know, there's a place for design thinking everywhere as long as you know that design isn't just a costume that you put on top of a product at the end of it, you know. It's something that. That's the thinking uh, part. It's, it's yeah. the thinking part. It's it's you know you know even just thinking about like user experience design and things. You know th- how people actually engage with something like that's a that's design. And how can a graphic designer make that part of it easier? You know because there's certainly 
things that, you know, you just feel comfortable being in a certain space because it's designed a comfortable way. And I think that when it comes to product design, it's that, you know, like it doesn't need to be like, holy shit, look at the aesthetic of this. It's just like, I don't feel bothered by this thing. And it's the non-bothered that is actually making me enjoy the experience. Yeah. So yeah, it's just sort of like understanding that design doesn't mean that the designer's you know, sensibilities have to be so present that you really like that it has a theme to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, some friends uh, at Google Ventures Design Lab down the street here, they're an investor in Creative Live, and they have walked us through some cool um, design sprints, and they've showed us a little bit about their process. And I remember one thing in particular is they showed the process of designing for a financial services company. Mm -hmm. And there were three different versions because the teams were competing and one was really out there. It's like, hey, what do you want to do? And he's like, go to you know, save money for Coachella, you know, go on that rad trip. And it was all of the hip sort of design language and, mm -hmm. you know, big, big entry fields. And it had, it felt like a mobile first application and the, everyone was sure that was going to win because basically it was trendy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they user tested it against the thing that was more conservative that talked about like safety and security. And it turns out people don't want a wackadoodle, cool, funky thing yeah. for their finances. Well, and also too, like, so this is a weird comparison, uh, but I will make it. Please, I love weird comparisons. So a thing that you use every day kind of needs to be as vanilla as possible, right? So if you think about an exercise video, like I have used exercise videos in the past when I Excellent. wasn't going to exercise classes. Okay. I had this one exercise video and the person that was in charge, you know, whatever, the instructor, <laughs> um, <laughs> made a joke like during the segment, you know, where everybody was doing burpees or whatever and they made some joke. That joke gets repeated every time that person does that music, that instructional video. So after like three or four days of doing this video, you start to feel like you're gonna murder everyone on screen. <laughs> but honestly, if they would have just left the joke out, I wouldn't mind the repetition. It's ignorable. You know, so it's like certain things you don't want to have like a big flashy something, something in because it's a daily use case thing. And like the more noticeable the design is or the more noticeable the opinion is or the more noticeable the inserted yeah. joke is, the more it drives people completely insane. Yeah. So like certain services kind of require you to like completely remove any sort of design ego from. Yeah. And like the best design is the design that is the most like, wow, like I, I'm just using this intuitively even though clearly there's so much thought that goes into it but nothing can disrupt, disrupt that like intuitive process. Anything yeah. that is like, even just the tiniest, like, oh look here, like that is gonna be so outrageously noticeable every time that person uses that service and it's gonna eventually drive them away from that service. It's just like great service at a restaurant. Yeah. If the waiter's always at the table announcing herself, hey, or if the guy's like, oh, let me tell you about the specials, I'm Bob, I'm gonna be taking care of you. And it's like, I just like, versus if, your food shows up, the food goes away, the drinks come, and it's all excellent and you don't notice it. Yeah. That's a service that's designed and it's exactly the way I'd want it. I don't need a bunch of, hopefully the 
the experiences at my table yeah. as much as it is from the person. Well, and the thing is too, like there are the times where you want that service. Sure. If I'm going to, you know, per se to eat, I sure. want it to be a special sure, experience a that show. I remember forever. Yeah. Sure, you know, a show. But if it's the place I go every Wednesday, I don't want it to be like over the top crazy or, you know, the place in, in the case of apps, the, the place I eat every day for lunch, you know, like yep. I don't want the place I eat every day for lunch to be like screaming at me all the time. Like I want it to just be a thing, you know, and I think that, uh, that yeah, I think designers lose that sometimes where they are worried about making something that's not special enough when really if you add too much special into something that you want people or expect people to use very, very regularly, it drives them crazy, and it's impossible to not notice it. Changing gears, and changing gears specifically about you. Habits. Habits? What are some of your best habits? Best habits are, ooh, that's hard to say. My immediate mind went to showers regularly, but I don't even know if I can count that. Uh, I think that's, yeah, we, that's, that's like a baseline. I mean, you, you're, you appear well showered yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. I try, you know, a couple times a week at least. No, I'm kidding. Um, but no, I would say uh, one of my best habits, which is just not even a habit, it's just like a built-in part of me, is whenever there is a problem that needs to be solved or something that, like a positive that has come about, I am constantly trying to dissect it and work backwards to how that thing happened because I really love understanding how things work. And so when there's a disruption in my life that's positive or negative, um, I want to really understand everything around that thing and make sure that I'm like maxing out everything around it. Mm -hmm. So... Example. Uh, example would be like... If Real it was, so if it was something like personal, like if a bad personal thing came about, I wouldn't go, oh my God, I'm screwed forever. That personal thing is fucked up and like I guess that person's not my friend anymore or I guess like my leg never works in the same way again or whatever. You know, like I don't, <laughs> I, I wouldn't just be like, I accept this thing is bad. Like that's all. Full stop. Yeah, full stop. What I would do is go, oh my God, how did it get to here? Let me walk back. Where did I, you know, where, where's the change that happened? What can I do to, you know, adjust myself in the future so that change doesn't happen in the future? Like what can I do to remedy this situation? Which makes it so that I have like coping mechanisms when stuff doesn't go my way. You know, like I know how to deal with crises a lot better than a lot of people, I think, just because I always think there's a way to like walk to a solution to get to a better place. And so I think that that's one of the best attributes that I'm very thankful that I have that as a part of me because it basically means that when stuff feels hopeless, it never feels hopeless. Or when stuff feels amazing, it feels like it's repeatable. You know, like it doesn't feel like things are just like fluke things, positive or negative, that I don't know how to find my way back to. How about, uh, do you have any routines that you feel like make you a better human? Um, That's an, I mean, it's, it's slightly different than what you just said, I feel Yeah, like. yeah. Um, one of the routines that make me a better human, which is like a totally boring work routine thing, um, but... You say all these things are boring, but people think they're fascinating. This, is, this was this is a true this is, this game changer uh, oh, okay, of good. a thing in my career. Uh, which I've written about on my site a little bit, which I give like all sorts, I'm like, you want advice? I'll give you advice like all the time. 
but I started trying to consolidate all of my tasky administrative stuff mm -hmm. into like blocks of time. So I have admin Mondays. So every Monday I take care of all of my administrative work for the week. And if I get administrative work requests later in the week, I push it to the next Monday. But what it, what it does that I did not anticipate is it makes me really look forward to Mondays because Mondays I don't have any hard problems to solve. They're all these like, it's like basically like organizing my sock drawer at the office, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I go into the office and I feel like I've accomplished so much even though like none of it matters because none of it's like client work. But it's like I immediately remove this huge weight off my shoulders for the entire week and then like the rest of the week it helps my creative work like flow a lot freer because I'm not constantly worried about like, oh, I should have written that person back from like eight days ago that wrote me about that thing or whatever. That's good advice. It was, I game mean. Game changer for you? Yeah, it was a real game changer because I have a really hard time not being like a trigger finger replier to yeah. stuff. And, you know, email begets email. So uh, what happened was it makes you like kind of purposefully aloof a little bit yeah. um, and limits your availability when people assume unlimited availability from someone that, you know, works for themselves. And I think all of us have a really hard time like having constraints about like when we are capable of doing yeah. things, especially if you have a flex flexible schedule. So um, it sort of like started me on this path of setting these hard rules about what I do and do not do when it comes to work. And so that was like kind of the first one of that. Aha. Of like, oh, okay, well, you want me to send you a bunch of files that's on a hard drive that I don't even know how to turn on anymore? I'm not going to do that on a Wednesday. I'm going to try and do that next Monday uh, rather than like completely screw up the middle of my week that was supposed to be a deadline day because I can't help myself and I have to do your request, you know? Um, what about something that sounds like a great professional one? Do you have a personal one a, of those? A personal one of those, um, I definitely feel like, well, I don't exercise as much as I should, but uh, the I found that I need like meditation in my life, but I'm a horrible meditator. So the only, cause I'm just like, am buzzing all the time and I have a really hard time calming my brain down. Uh, so even when I do like yoga classes and stuff like that, I'm I'm like like working through day problems like halfway through, and it's like it's very hard to turn off. But what I have found is that when I do uh, the kind of exercises where people are like walking you through moves, so it's almost like that forced meditation thing where you have to focus so intently on what people are telling you to do on like a minute by minute basis. Like Bikram yoga, do you know that one where they're well, just constantly yapping at you? It does happen to be 110 yeah, yeah. degrees. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that because I'm, I run a little hot naturally. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like I got really into like really slow mat Pilates where it's not like the on the machine doing crazy stuff and looking like you're exercising. It's like you basically, every move is like, you know, pretty micro. Um, but it's sort of like it takes, you know, 10 steps to even walk you into a move. I would be really into like those long form like yoga pose kind of mm -hmm. things for that. Um, and it's just a way to, you know, get my brain. Quiet the monkey quiet brain. The, quiet the monkey mind. Yeah. Um, and that like I didn't think I was a person that needed meditation or you know like because I I like running on yeah. <laughs> on all speeds all the time yeah. um, but it it made a huge difference and and like 
having a commute, I'm like also the only person on earth that loves commuting because I just need a way to have like 40 minutes of quiet time that is that decompressing, you know, before I get into the office or something like that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I don't hear a lot of people celebrating their commutes, oh, especially 40 minute long ones. I love it. Especially if I'm on a train or something. I'm just like, 15 minutes in New York Times, the rest of the time scheming about random stuff. It's like how uh, people always come up with their best ideas in the shower and things like that. Like, yeah. I can't take a shower without a toddler like trying to get in there with me right now. So <laughs> there are no good ideas coming out of my shower. Uh, but there are lots of good ideas that come out of a, uh, you know, a long commute on a train. Favorite art, favorite book, favorite movie? Or not favorite, um, just actually favorite. Let's take the, remove the word favorite. Yeah, favorite's too, too loaded, loaded. Yeah. too loaded. Something that you liked recently. Something that I liked recently. I... Because uh, you're good at recommending things, I gather. Yeah. I, I really, I read um, A Secret History and The Goldfinch from Donna Tartt. Both super good. I love super fiction. Good. I feel like, uh, you know, I know a lot of people that can't be bothered with fiction. But I really love uh, fiction books and I feel like they so much comes from it like creatively like you know it's it really is like a way to explore without leaving your house <laughs> when you're not when you can't leave your house as easily That's right. <laughs> uh so both of those books i'm reading all the light we cannot see right now which is also really good uh though i'm not reading it as fast as i've read those other books and favorite tv is i, I watch a lot more tv than i watch movies um if series that you like well I, I'm also like a crazy marathoner of television because yeah. a lot of I my... Would, I've known you for a total of like 45 minutes <laughs> now and I would say, I bet she can crush like House of Cards. You and, have, well, yeah. the thing is I can crush House of Cards because it has that like addictive, like I just got to see what's happening next and also because I can survive on very little sleep. So <laughs> it's a bad combination. Uh, but I actually, I marathon a lot of television that I've either already seen before or is not quite as artfully done as uh, some of the got Netflix it. series and things because so much of my artwork um, that I do involves a lot of long production. Mm -hmm. um, I can put on television while I'm working and just kind of half pay attention to it, especially if it's very dialogue driven. And um, so, I mean, I got through like 20 seasons of Law & Order SVU in like <laughs> like five months or something, which is, you know, like, the, and there's things like that. Like I've, I've watched the first three or four seasons of The X-Files like 40 times. And, you know, like there's a lot of, uh, I like repeat watching things, especially things. I'm I'm like a little bit too nostalgic all the time about stuff too. Like wow. I I listen to the same music that I listened to when I was, you know, I basically add one new album per year to my like <laughs> music catalog, and otherwise I'm still stuck as like a 22 year old. Pearl Jam still got gotcha. you, or what's the? I was I was a little later. I, thankfully, I had like I had horrible taste in high school, and then like it really got up a notch in college, and then I like so I'm just stuck in the college years, which <laughs> is still, fine by me. The CDs on your desk. Yeah, I'm good there. with that. Yeah. <laughs> Advice. There are people who you are you have blazed a trail and there are people who are following that trail. What's your advice to them? I think the like one of the biggest pieces of advice is just do not constantly compare yourself against other people. It is crippling. Like, you know, I find that uh and it's it's even true now, like one of the things that I notice in myself is that I've been consuming social media a lot more than I've been contributing to it. And when I was younger and working those crazy 80-hour work weeks, like, I basically would just be like, hey, guys, look what I did, and then go off and work because I was too busy to not do that. 
And it was really rewarding just to kind of like throw stuff out there and then walk away instead of spending all of my time sort of immersing myself in what was out there and then feeling too intimidated to actually push myself into it. Mm. Uh, so I think that a lot of people suffer from that where they know that they need to like absorb awesome things around them and be aware of like what the market is and what other people are doing. But I don't know a lot of people that are not like totally intimidated when they start seeing work that they feel like is way, way above their You're level. You're comparing your day-to-day -day with everybody else's highlight reel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, and I, mean, yeah, I mean, even, even so, like, it's hard to look at a piece that someone made and actually really understand the hours that went into it. You know, like, because if you start seeing people at a, you know, high level making stuff, like, and this, you're like, I love this piece. But, like, even knowing that that piece took, like, 25 hours or something for them to make, it feels so immediate because we're just so used to consuming yeah, at such a high level, yeah. or, like, such a high volume. And, uh, you know, it can just feel impossible, you know. That's a great advice. It goes hand in hand with a friend of mine named Marie Forleo. I don't know if you know Marie, but... She, she says, in the, almost the same breath, she says two things, comparing things is terrible. She actually has this lovely comparison. She calls it compare schlager. Like, the gold schlager that you drank in college was, the, like, the worst alcohol you could possibly consume. <laughs> and so don't compare schlager and, uh, and create before you consume. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's powerful and simple advice. I feel like you might have some career advice. That's, I think that's just very general advice that I subscribe to deeply. What about specifically for someone who wants to pursue a career like you have? Well, I think uh, the main thing is whatever career you choose to pursue, pursue it because you actually enjoy what that career entails, mm -hmm. not because you want what is at the end of the rainbow of that career. Um, and that's really hard to find out. You know, like you have to actually try things in order to f figure that out. That's why yeah. they make you take electives in college and stuff like that. Um, because I love my career, uh, and that's because I really love tedious work. And whenever people are like sending me shortcuts of how to do stuff, I'm like, don't tell me. I don't want the shortcut. I want to keep doing it my long way because it feels good. Like it's it like that's how I meditate. It's how I you know that's when I go into flow mode and everything and like anybody that tries to speed up my process I tend to be I tend to push away but there's a lot of people that just don't have the patience and they don't have you know they don't get off on the stuff that I get off on and I think it's important to sort of understand how you want to fill your time because like really as a creative per like as creatives I think one of the things that's so amazing is that we have these careers that we kind of have to make up you know, like you kind of have to. You kind of looking around, like, oh, is anybody figured out that I'm just figuring this out as <laughs> yeah, I go? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think like what's great about that is that we have no job security, but we have the most job security because very few people outside of creative careers spend time annually asking themselves, "Am I happy? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I advancing myself in the right ways?" You know, a lot of people enter careers after doing really awesome work in college and getting great degrees and then kind of going on cruise control for a really long time. And if they get thrown off of that cruise control for whatever reason, because of a life thing, because they got laid off, because of whatever, they do not know how to recover because it has been a really long time since they've had to think about stuff. And I think that that's one of the biggest positives about being a creative is like actually taking time to figure out 
what you want right now in this moment. And that changes constantly. Like yeah. it, you can't expect that the career that you wanted when you were 23 is gonna be the same career that you want when you're 35, is the same career that you want when you're 55. And my goal is like to never retire. Like if I can be in a place where I always feel like I'm doing work that makes me feel awesome and fulfilled, even if that work is really different than what I'm doing now, but it's, you know, it's right for me at the time, mm -hmm. then I'm doing something right. And if I'm ever at a point where I go, God, I wish I could just walk away from this forever, I know that I've gone really off the rails. And so I think that that's the biggest thing to think about. Like, don't think about like, how do I get into this career that can then end in early retirement or how can I set myself up for life, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's more like, how do I set myself up for a way that like I get to spend eight hours of my day doing something really rewarding that makes me feel like I'm contributing as a human to the rest of the world and also that I'm like maxing out the stuff that I actually want to be doing for a living. So, so true. Speed yeah. round. Ready? Yeah. Biggest failure you don't admit to yourself regularly. Um, biggest failure that I... I will say that I am not a crazy overachiever in terms of deliverables to clients. And when I see people that are... I get really upset with myself because I feel like I'm doing it wrong. So if I see like a deck that Aaron Draplin shows a client versus a deck that I show a client, I'm like, I showed like three options, which was kind of what I had promised, but he's showing 15 options. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. So I don't, I don't think it's the wrong thing, yeah. but I think it's something where... That's a little bit of compare slogger, but it's, it's also... a little bit of compare slogger, but it's also... But there's something deeper there. There's something time. deeper there. Yeah. I, think, I think what it is is that um, I have, over time, become a really business-savvy person, and that can affect my creativity negatively sometimes because I don't let myself run wild. That's a brilliant answer. I don't I'm, want you to explain yeah. it anymore. That's yeah. brilliant. Um, biggest thing that if you said it right now that people would be shocked to find out they didn't know that about you. Your I thought friends, we already covered this with my like weird, like not that intense work week. <laughs> I f that, that's fair. I feel like there, I would like to hear something else along those lines. Something in the, else in the speed lines. round. See, what I'm trying to do is I want like a one-liner. You've done such a good job explicating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm trying to- I need the short answers. I'm trying to constrain you a little bit. Um, this is like the one-liner. So this is the thing that people would be shocked about me. Yeah. See, the issue is, though, I'm, like, a little too much of an open book. Like, I'm just, like, miss out and about. That's um, why, I, like, that's, then if you're so out and about, then that would not qualify as a thing that people would be shocked by. Well, actually, if, if this video was released uh, tomorrow, the thing that I think most people would be shocked by is that I'm currently pregnant with my second child, which I've been completely hiding from the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long do you want me to wait until this comes out? Oh, I don't care. Like you can just do it whenever. But, okay. um, but yeah, I I have chosen to not uh, make this as public as the first round that's because that's the best. That's an amazing answer. Yeah, I I just didn't want to have to do the clawing myself back into client world this time, and Good. I'm going to be uh, unavailable for a month or two. But that's kind of that. <laughs> Who do you admire? Oh man. I admire all kinds of folks. I feel like the people that I admire the most are the people that are able to be awesome at being human beings while also being awesome at being creatives. So in that way, I feel like 
Michael Beirut is one of those people where I'm just like, how does that guy do it? Where uh, he is a very, very thoughtful person on top of being an awesome badass designer. Yeah, badass. And I just haven't been able to get my shit together with like sending thank you cards to people or just <laughs> reaching out randomly to say a nice thing to someone. And like I, I definitely give people like, you know, a lot of my time yeah. and like I'm I'm everyone's cheerleader. Yeah. But I feel like it seems to dawn on him to do all those awesome thoughtful things a lot more. Envious. I'm envious of. I'm envious of his personedom, like <laughs> his like domains. His, Burr, he's his, got it. Yeah, yeah. He, his ability to just seem pretty. Uh, I mean, I know a few people like that that are uh, able to sort of effortlessly be extremely thoughtful and also Year, professional. Is there a New Year's resolution you made that you'd share with us? Um, New Year's resolution. Well, actually, one of my New Year's resolutions is to be more proactive in terms of actually like reaching out to people that I want to work with and to you know meeting clients in person and stuff like that because I've been uh, you know really weird and lucky in that I haven't had to do a lot of that in the past and I don't like I could be fine not doing it now but I feel like this new fire in me to like actually Maybe I should fly back to New York every now and then just to meet with people that I've always wanted to work with, you know. And I think one of the things that I've appreciated about being freelance is, like, I never know what's coming my way, and that's really exciting. But I do feel like there are, pro like, I now probably know some things that I want to do that, you know, I have the ways to make it happen, and I want to start taking steps to do that. Thank you so much for spending 45 minutes with us. I really appreciate your time. It's super awesome well, to have you've been a part of the print magazine thing. Obviously, Debbie curated a mean, a mean show. She's good. She's got her posse. She is. She's together. Thanks for doing this, too. I appreciate it. Of course. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this. Also, uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platform. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.